and welcome to a newsflash episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialists. As always, I'm joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape. Hello, Richard. Hello, Lizzie. What have you been doing since I last saw you? Uh, very little other than eating my way through some heroes um, yeah, in true Christmas fashion. Christmas time. It's December the 19th. <laughs> Exactly. And our last podcast of the year, we've just finished our last webinar of the year and now we're doing our last podcast. Well, that you'll be on your own then because I won't be there. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So we're doing it on restrictive covenants um, and specifically the discharge of restrictive covenants under Section 84 of the Law and Property Act 1925. Um, And we're going to be talking about an upper tribunal case called Kay and Cunningham from October 24th. Do you want to start with the, the background law around restrictive covenants? Yeah, well, this is freehold land, although actually the discharge of restrictive covenants can exist on the longer leases and leasehold land as well. It's in Section 84.12 of the Law of Property Act. But that's for another day. Uh, basically, restrictive covenants uh, are the only property rights that you can go off to the tribunal system uh, to have them discharged. Uh, there's four reasons you might have four grounds to discharge covenants will have them modified as well. And section 84, subsection one of the Law of Property Act. Shall I remind you what the four are? Because they were all argued in this particular case, although one of them Yes, please. One of them failed. Yes, please. Well. Yeah, well, firstly, how to this summarise it, I won't quote the whole thing. Uh, it's where because of a change to the character of the property or the neighbourhood um, or other circumstances, the, the covenants are deemed obsolete. That's something like it was once a... Uh, uh, sort of a rural idyll and there's now a housing estate surrounding it, something like that. That's one reason. Uh, second, AA uh, is the commonest to be used of all, and that's that the restriction impedes reasonable use of the land and doesn't secure to the persons entitled any benefits or practical benefits of substantial value which contrary to public interest. Um, so this summary of it. Thirdly is where the person with the benefit has either expressly or impliedly agreed to discharge the covenant. That was argued in this uh, this case we're about to discuss, but it was dropped, so that wasn't discussed at all. And fourthly, the proposed discharge or modification will not injure the person entitled to the benefit of the covenant. There's no real loss. And it's worth thinking about if you're involved in development cases, and there have been lots of the huge numbers of cases, and this is one of the more clear than most recent to be reported, uh, it can involve, you know, huge developments and, you know, alternatively, people just wanting to build an extension of the back of their house and the likes. Uh, and it is quite strange, and the, and the tribunal system does seem to be quite keen to to, to see this covenants discharged. You can actually get compensation if the covenants are discharged based on your loss, but it's not necessarily what you're expecting to get. So that's some of the background. Thank you. And the, the case itself, Kay and Cunningham, what are the facts of this case? Yeah, well, it's all involved uh, a grade two star listed building, a 17th century large house uh, with uh, various other small houses in an estate uh, near Matlock, three miles from Matlock in Derbyshire, if you know Matlock. Uh, and um, it was... I mean, the law report makes much of the fact, and the actual owner of the land made much of the fact that it was this 17th century property, which was 
done up a lot in the, the late 18th century. Uh, but it was a childhood home of Florence Nightingale, the Lady of the Lamp. Uh, and um, what I can gather, she, she didn't stay there that long, but it was obviously a kind of selling point for this place. Uh, and the Nightingale family uh, lived there until the First World War. And after the Second World War, it, was, uh, it became a nursing home. Um, but then back in uh, 2004 or five, uh, a couple of sort of the outbuildings, one called the Lamp Cottage and the other called the Coach House, uh, were sold to Mrs. Cunningham and her future husband, Mr. Nix, when they live in the Coach House. And it was uh, her on the transfer of the land who insisted on the restrictive covenants, very commonplace restrictive covenants, uh, not to use other than a single private residence or dwelling, and another one not to commit a nuisance or annoyance. Uh, for some reason, when it uh, got to the tribunals, they didn't try to argue the nuisance or annoyance covenants, which uh, surprised me, because uh, that's uh, much more significant than people might give it credit for. But back in 2011, um, <clears throat> Mr. K., uh, purchased the estate, you know, subject to the fact that uh, she owned the Lamp Cottage, uh, and um, he purchased the estate um, uh, for £1.7 million and uh, spent the best part of a million pounds in doing it up to its former splendour. And he seems to have had all these bright ideas which are designed to annoy neighbours in such places. I don't think she was actually living there. She was using it as a holiday let herself and the likes. But uh, he intended to, well, originally he wanted to get planning permission for a housing development on part of this estate and but failed on his planning application. Uh, it's a great two-star listed building after all. And to put in large, three large glamping tents uh, in, the, in the grounds, but he failed on that as well. But he also hit on the idea of um, having part of this. He'd still live there, but he'd have part of this, this Lee Hurst, the, the major estate that it was, uh, he would um, he would use it as a B and B with five rooms, you know, for bed and breakfast. And this is what uh, Mrs. Cunningham and Mr. Nix objected to. They wanted to get an injunction stop in this argument was agree to the covenant, and so um, Mr. K went off to the tribunal to have the covenants discharged or modified. So what happened when it went to the tribunal? Well, like a lot of these things, it depends very much on its facts and various expert witnesses. He failed in his argument about uh, ground A, you know, the covenants obsolete because of the changes to the character of the neighbourhood and the likes, because there had not actually been any physical change. There was not going to be any physical change. It was still going to look the same. It was just going to be looked partly as a BB, B and B, and actually. You didn't actually need planning permission for any changes. If it was less than seven uh, units, you didn't, it was within permitted development rights. Um, but uh, he tried to argue AA, it prevents reasonable use of land, and, and C, um, you know, there's no damages, basically. There's no injury as a consequence. Uh, the upper tribunal, for the most part, concentrated on ground AA, and split it into three component parts. I think that is the important thing about the case. So firstly, was it, uh, did it impede, impede reasonable use of the land? Uh, secondly, did the covenants 
secure any practical benefits for, for Mrs Cunningham and her husband? Uh, and thirdly, uh, were they of substantial value? Did they confer benefits of substantial value? It was held that they did uh, inevitably prevent reasonable use of the land. There was nothing unreasonable in that part of the world for, you know, sort of a large property to have five uh, B&B rooms and a limited number of guests. Um, it uh, was held perhaps more controversially uh, to not secure practical benefits of substantial value. They tried to argue, you've got to split it into two again, but they tried to argue things, there'll be more noise. That's why I'm surprised they didn't argue the nuisance and annoyance covenant as well. But Mrs. K tried to argue there would be more noise and you know more people using the driveway, although there was an alternative driveway to, to rehearse the, the main room, the main hall. Um, and uh, it would change the amenity. It would no longer be residential. It would change the whole sort of um, ambience of the premises. Uh, to cut a long story short, they failed on all those three. And they also uh, failed in arguing that, um, you know, in, in opposing Mr. Mr. K, arguing those three uh, stages to ground AA. Uh, but they also failed on, you know, to oppose on, on ground C. There was no real practical benefits. Uh, apparently the land cottage, which was the beneficiary of the covenants, the land benefited by the covenants, was something like 75 metres away and there was a Leylandii hedge in the way and you know you couldn't actually see uh, Lee Hurst Hall uh, from the premises. So very much on its facts, um, the covenants were, were discharged as a consequence. And I say it's one of numerous uh, cases which have allowed discharge of covenants. I feel a bit sorry. I mean, it's obviously one of those neighbour disputes that gets completely out of hand. But sometimes in some of the cases, you wonder why the covenants have been imposed in the first place. If somebody's prepared to go after the tribunal to, to have them discharged. And are there any other recent cases that might help people who are intent on development? Well, there was a case earlier this year, which we didn't discuss in the course, it's called Hodgson of Cook, another upper tribunal case where it was in a residential area, um, it was discussed in, in Kay and Cunningham, uh, it was in a residential area and they wanted to put a, they put a cabin, they got subject to a covenant against anything other than a single private dwelling again, which is as common a covenant as you get. And they, they wanted to put a, it was also not to go on a trade or business from the premises. And they wanted to put a cabin uh, from the, in the back garden and run a beauty business in the cabin. And some of the neighbours objected, and uh, in that particular case, they they failed on the grounds that it's you know it's a significant change. You are running a trade of business, and it's not right because you're running a trade of business in a separate building, if you like this cabin in the rear garden. I remember a case called Re Holden, which didn't get much uh, credit. Another upper tribunal case uh, must have been in 2018. Again, in a sort of new build housing estate. You know, not to run a trade or business, single private dwelling. And for some time, they'd uh, been running a, a dog grooming parlour. Seems to be a lot of this in their garage, where you yeah. could, you're not tempted with your cat. <laughs> I'm not sure he would stay still for that. But um, yeah, there's lots of dog grooming places about. Amazing number. But uh, but uh, they, they applied to discharge the covenants and they actually succeeded. Um, he tried to argue that there's been a change in character. Lots of people shouldn't be running a business, but they were running the businesses, vans in the people's driveways. And like, that's quite a common issue. 
Um, and um, but uh, he managed to have the covenants discharged, uh, but only so you could run a dog grooming business and no other business. So it's take your pick a bit. And I remember another one from last year called uh, Collins and Howell from South Devon, South Hewish, uh, South Hams or North Hewish. South Hams was a 16 acres of land with a benefit of former farmland, with a benefit of covenant that neighbouring land shouldn't be used other than for grazing. And they wanted to, the neighbours wanted to put a menage there. Do you know what that is, Lizzie? Is it like a bird thing? Isn't it for... That's a menagerie, I think you think. Oh, I don't know what a menage, menage. is. I think it's pronounced this. Don't write in if it's not. But somebody told me it rhymes with farage is where you train horses. It's a horse training area. Where yeah. have, ah, uh, like a school, like a horse school. That kind of thing. And uh, I say it was 16 acres of land. Part of the planning permission is that, you know, it's in an area of outstanding natural beauty. You had to put landscaping so the menage couldn't be seen from the neighbouring house. Um, I didn't know what a menage was, actually, until this case. But I think I, I've now got one. I've had one, just to keep one up on the neighbours, and I, I just need some horses now. Uh, but anyway, um, I digress. It, uh, they surprisingly succeeded in objecting to the discharge of the covenants because it, you know, you might have sixteen acres of land, but you still need your privacy. So, to some extent, these cases do depend very much on their facts. But there are numerous, numerous cases, and uh, that's it. The last podcast of the year was he happy. Christmas. Thank you very much, Richard. Yes, Merry Christmas to everybody listening. Thank you very much, Richard, and thank you to everybody for listening. We'll see you again in our next episode.